tonight. We for sure grew. And I want to encourage all of you, if you're um, hungry for the Word, we had a great time in the Word, in the book of James. And uh, I want to invite you to come Wednesday nights, 7 o'clock. There's children's ministry, no youth ministry yet, but there is children's ministry. And uh, just come and bring your Bibles and take some notes and receive the Word and grow. Now today, 2 Kings 4, the first seven verses, we're continuing in the series on the prophet Elisha, the prophet of restoration. How many of you believe in restoration? Do you believe in it? Amen. God, God is the God who restores. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Here's another story of Elisha restoring and healing and doing miracles in the name of Jehovah God. A certain woman of the wise of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. This was not a good picture. So Elisha said to her, I love this, what shall I do for you? Do you know how many times Jesus asked people, what do you want me to do for you? What would you tell God today if he said, what shall I do for you? Wouldn't you love to have God ask you that question? What do you want me to do for you? Do you know that he is asking you that question? God is asking you that question. His Bible is full of so many promises, he might as well say, what can I do for you? All right, now, tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few, get a bunch, get as many as you can find. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. Set aside the full ones. Now look what he promised. You're going to get empty vessels and they're going to end up full. Now that was the promise. And that moved this woman to move in faith. She knew she was about to go into miracle territory. These jars are going to somehow be filled with oil. By the miracle power of God. Now, it says it came to pass, verse 6, when the vessels were full, then she said to her son, bring me another vessel. He said to her, there is not another one. We got everything we could find. We exhausted the source. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debt. Doesn't that sound pretty? Pay your debt. Can we just say that out loud? Because I want you to notice, do you think that since God did this for her, he wants us to? Okay? Let's say it again. Pay your debt. That's the word of God. Pay your debt. And you and your sons live on the rest. Not only did he provide for their debt, but he provide for retirement. He provided for retirement because they had more than enough to pay off the debt. So they paid off Visa. They paid off American Express. They paid off the mortgage. They paid all that off. And then they had a bunch of CDs sitting in the bank. They had enough to live their life on. 
from one miracle. So it must be that it's God's will that we are not laden with debt. All right, Lord, thank you for your word today. Bless this word to every hearer's heart. And help us, Lord, to catch a glimpse of the wisdom of God and to be fed by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your neighbor and tell them it's going to be good today, even if it stings a little bit. <laughs> well, I tell you, I think those are pretty words. Pay your debt. Pay your debt. Now, so far in our series, we've looked at Elisha, the prophet of restoration. And you know, it's an interesting thing. Restoration is, is so powerful. It's very different from healing. <clears throat> I was studying restoration more this week. Restoration is restoring something that has aged or been broken or shattered to its original condition. Healing almost invariably had to do with the, the ridding of disease. It's two different things. When you see Jesus healing, he's, he's usually healing a disease, something that has to do with disease or affliction. But restoration has to do with renewing or restoring that which has been broken or shattered. So often, Elisha moved in the ministry of restoration. That's why we've called this series, Elisha, the prophet of restoration. So far, we've seen him do this. He, he restored bitter water by putting salt in it, which was a sign of covenant. We've seen him restore poison stew by using flour, which was used in the sin offering. We've seen a dead child resurrected and restored to its mother. We've seen Naaman the leper's skin restored like the skin of a baby. We've seen the miracle of the floating axe head restored to the prophet that lost it. And last week we looked at the miracle of empty ditches filled with water miraculously. Something else I've noticed this week about Elisha and Elijah. So often, Elisha's miracles were practical in nature. When you look at Elijah's miracles, when he called fire out of heaven or spoke the drought over Israel, those were signs and wonders designed to bring people to repentance. But Elisha's miracles were so often practical. Healing the bitter water so people could drink. Healing the bitter stew so they could eat. Restoring the lost access so that prophet could return to his work. They were practical miracles. And today's miracle that we're looking at is also practical. You've got a widow in a tremendous dilemma. First of all, she lost her husband. Now we know from what the Bible says that this husband was a servant of the prophet Elisha. Elisha knew this man well. This was during the time of persecution. Jezebel was persecuting all the prophets of God. They were hiding in caves. They were hiding in open fields. He was, she was making life havoc for them, wreaking havoc on their lives. And then this man died. Now, for a, for a woman to be widowed in that day, it was difficult enough. But if you were the widow of a prophet, it was doubly difficult because as a family, you were more than likely under persecution and under duress because of what you did. So she was left not only without a husband, but she was left in bad debt. Now, I wondered, why was he in bad debt? We don't know why he was. It could have been that he was a bad manager of money. It could be that he was in bad debt because of the persecution that was coming against them from Jezebel. But when he died, he left this woman in such bad debt that the creditors came to her door 
knocked on the door. She opens the door. Here stands the creditor saying, you don't have the money to pay us. Your, your liabilities way outweigh your assets. So we want your sons for slavery. And you will not get them back until all the debt is paid. They will be our slaves till the debt is paid. And Mosaic law required that if they were slaves for up to seven years, they were released then at the year of Jubilee. But it, they were looking at perhaps seven years of hard slavery to pay off the debt that this woman found herself in when her husband had died. The specter of being of losing everything was looming on her horizon. Losing everything. Not just her husband, not just her home, but her sons. She was about to be, be a, bereft of everything. So she goes to the prophet Elisha, who her husband served so faithfully for many, many years. And she told him the story. Now, anytime I read that, I always see Elisha or Elijah, either one, as a type of Christ. And it's the same thing, folks, for you and, you and me. When you find yourself in trouble, you find yourself in debt, you find yourself in duress, you find yourself in a crisis, you don't turn to the television or People magazine or to a bunch of other individuals, though you can certainly go to friends and ask them to pray, but the main person you've got to go to is Christ, Jesus himself. You know, these, these people that Elijah and Elisha ministered to invariably went to them when they were in trouble. And I want to tell you something, folks, when it gets right down to it, you can go to one person, they'll tell you one thing, you can go to another, he'll tell you something else, go to another, she'll tell you something else. It comes down to, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men, all men, liberally, and he never upbraids you, he never chastises you for asking him for wisdom. There comes a point when the only answer that's really going to matter is whatever God says to you. Like I was preaching last week, you got to get a word from God. We need a word from God. Can I just say it again? He talks. Say, well, I don't know if I can hear God. Oh, listen, He can talk to you. He can get your attention. He knows how to speak to you. Don't question your hearing. Go to Him believing that He can talk. We need a word from God. Do you know that one word from God can dispel the clouds in the sky? One word from God can settle a troubled mind? One word from God can set you on the path of direction that God wants you to walk in? Just one word from God. I would take one word from God over 10,000 words of counsel from a human being. <clears throat> she knew that she needed a word from God. So she goes to the prophet. She knew that Elisha was real. Her husband had served him. There was no mystery there. <clears throat> this guy walks with God. He does miracles. I'm going to get a word from God. So she goes to Elisha. And Elisha answers her. And I think the, the answer is incredible Every time these guys gave somebody an answer, it just boggles your mind. Because here's what he said to her. What do you have in the house? Well, she said, well, what I've got in the house is nothing. Listen to her response now. Nothing. Can you say nothing? <clears throat> but there wasn't nothing. There was something. There wasn't much, but there was something. But she said, nothing but a jar of oil. His reply, go and borrow vessels from everywhere, empty vessels. Don't gather just a few. Now, here we go again. These prophets telling us to do things that don't make any sense. Last week, 
What did the prophet tell that, uh, that army to do, those three kings to do? Go dig ditches. Go dig ditches. What do you mean? We need to fight a battle and win the war against the Moabites. No, you go dig ditches. And then he filled the ditches with water. Now here's another inexplicable, illogical response. And so often when God talks to us, folks, it's going to short-circuit your logic. Because here it is. He says, what do you have in the house? Nothing but a jar of oil. All right? Then I want you to go to all your neighbors out there. I want you to go out to all the neighbors and gather as many jars as you can find and bring them back into the house because here's what's going to happen. Oil is going to fill those jars. That doesn't make any sense. But she turned in faith. And that's what you got to do. The Word of God may short-circuit your mind, but it will always inspire your faith. So you get in financial trouble and God says, tie, that short-circuits the mind. Because if I'm in financial trouble, something in me says, hold on. But no, God says, let go. And so she tells her two sons in faith, okay, I don't understand it, but here's what the prophet said. So go to Mr. Smith and Mr. Jones and go on down the street to Mrs. Q and Mr. X and Mr. Y and gather all the empty jars that you can find. Now, I know those boys had to be scratching their head. Mom, we're about to be taken into slavery. What are we doing going out and gathering empty jars? What do you mean gather empty jars? What do you mean dig ditches? What do you mean dip in the Jordan River seven times? What do you mean hold out my withered hand? What do you mean step out of the boat and step on the water and start walking? What do you mean, Lord? That doesn't make any sense. But they did it. She gathered many empty jars. They brought many empty jars back home. They shut the door. And they began to pour the oil. Now watch this now. They took first empty jar. Just picture it. Use your sanctified imagination. I've tried. They took the first empty jar. All she had was one little jar of oil, olive oil. She turns it upside down and begins to pour it. It keeps pouring, and it keeps pouring, and it keeps pouring. The door is shut. They're not letting any unbelief in. God said, shut the door. You know, there are times, folks, you need to shut the door because somebody will say, you're crazy. You're nuts. You don't want one word of unbelief spoken under you over you when you're trying to believe God for a miracle. So they shut the door. They shut out negative criticism. They shut out unbelief. They shut out doubt. They shut that door. Now picture it. Here's a jar, a borrowed jar, and it keeps pouring and pouring until finally this jar is filled. Then she holds this one back up, and it's still full. She says, bring me another one. Now this is money going into these jars. Here comes the other one. Now, do you reckon those three are gathered around this next one with eyes peeled, looking real close? Because this is a miracle. This is, this is like a magic show, but it's not. It's a miracle. This is like something you see on TV and you wonder, how are they doing that? You know they're somehow manipulating things. This was not manipulation. This was a miracle. So here comes the second jar. She turns it upside down. And it begins to pour, and it pours, and it pours. And with wide eyes, they watch the second one fill to the brim. They pull the first jar back, the original jar, the one that she said, nothing much but a jar of oil. Now it's still full. With trembling hands, she says, give me the third one. Here comes the third one. She turns it upside down. It pours, and it pours, and it pours, and it pours. 
I'm telling you, they're about to have a benefit in there. They're watching a miracle here, folks. They're watching something you don't ever see. This is not normal. This is going against all the laws of nature. This is a miracle. It is defying logic. It is defying normalcy. It pours and it pours and it pours. The third one fills to the brim. She holds the first one back up. It's still full. Jar after jar after jar. And every time she fills one, it's money. It's money to get out of that debt. You think those two boys weren't starting to do this a little bit now? Because they're seeing their slavery going right out the window because they're seeing God's provision come in front of their eyes because every jar meant money. They were going to make off that oil and pay off the debt. I don't know how many they filled, 10, 15, 20. I don't know, but I do know this. They got every jar they could find, brought them in, filled them up, and those boys, listen, they were having a hallelujah fit that day because they saw this dark specter of slavery completely obliterated by this mighty miracle of God's provision with this oil. It's an incredible miracle. Now what jumps out at me through this story is how often we ignore our not-enoughs. That's what really hits me with this story, how often we ignore our not-enoughs. How many of you have got some not-enoughs in your life? Oh, there's not enough. Oh, that's not much. Oh, it's just sort of inconsequential. It's really not enough. doesn't really matter. It's not much. Don't have much. You know what we do, folks? We discard the little bit we have because we assume that it's useless. We discard the not enoughs because we assume they're useless because they look like they're not enough. Not enough money. Not enough IQ. Not enough looks. Not enough talent. Not enough job, not enough pay, not enough this, not enough that. Everybody's got a not enough somewhere. And we discard them, we even despise them, because we look at them and go, not enough, not enough, not enough, not enough love, not enough this, not enough that, not enough in the church, not enough praise, not enough teaching, not enough this, not enough that. There's, hey, everybody's got not enoughs in their life. Maybe your car is a not enough. Or maybe your house is a not enough. Or a relationship is not enough. This deal of not enough. Listen, I see it all through the Scripture. She said, what do you have? She said, nothing. Nothing. Look what nothing became. She said, he said, what do you have? Nothing. Oh, nothing. Nothing. Nothing but a jar of oil, just a little old jar of oil sitting off somewhere in the medicine cabinet. Just a little jar of oil. He said, you're not enough is enough to get you enough. Come on, everybody. Now, I'm going to teach the Bible here today. You're not enough is enough to get you enough. Her statement reminded me of several Bible stories where individuals said, not enough. Remember when Elijah sent his servant to go look for a cloud? To go look for a sign of rain after they had been in a drought for three and a half years? And the servant came back six times. On the seventh time he came back, he said, did you see anything on the horizon? He said, oh, just a little cloud the size of a man's hand. And Elijah said, listen, that little cloud the size of a man's hand, you better run, tell Ahab to get back to the kingdom fast because it's about to rain. 
But wait a minute, that cloud is just a little white puffy cloud the size of a man's hand. That is nothing formidable. But God doesn't need formidable. God will take your not enough and make it enough to get you enough. He really will. This is the teaching of the Bible. And so as we know in the story, it rained, cats and dogs, I mean it poured where Ahab's chariots and all the horsemen got bogged down in the mud. It rained so hard that not enough became enough. When Elijah went to the widow at Zarephath and was staying at her house, he said, bring me something to eat. And she said, we don't have anything to eat. We have only a handful. Listen, only. Do you hear that? Only. We have only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar and we're about to eat our last meal and die. They had already set up their tombstone. And you know what that tombstone set on it? Died because of not enough. But Elijah said, take that not enough, take that, that oil, and take that little bin of meal, that little cruise of meal, and give me something to eat. And so she took her not enough and gave him a meal, and lo and behold, from that moment on, the jar of oil and the bin of meal multiplied, multiplied, multiplied. For a whole year they lived off of what she said was not enough. Is anybody hearing me today? Oh, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar and we're going to eat and go die. No, 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 no. Because you give me, you're not enough and it's going to be enough to get you enough. The disciples said when Jesus said to them, hey, we're looking at 5,000 people, not men, not including women and children, 10,000 folks. Let's feed them. What do you have? And they replied, what are you talking about? We've got five loaves and two fish. Then they said, Shall we go and buy $200 worth of bread? Because we don't have enough. Jesus said, give me your not enough. Give me your not enough. And I'm going to take the not enough, and I'm going to bless it, and I'm going to pray over it, and I'm going to break it, and then I'm going to distribute it. And the same thing happened with them. They handed somebody bread, the bread grew back. Handed somebody else bread, more grew and they fed 10,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Then they had 12 baskets left over, all starting with what they considered their not enough. In each case, they despised their not enough. In every case, they despised their not enough. Folks, I don't know what you're looking at today, but I believe that God allows into our lives almost always some area where there's not enough. You know why? Because He wants you to exercise faith over that not enough, I'm going to preach a little bit today now. Maybe you want to grab your toes. I want you to think about this now. What is it in your life that you focus on? You look at it and you say, oh, all I've got. Oh, it's only. Or just barely. Or how are we going to make it? Because all I've got is not enough. you know how often that happened in the Bible over and over and over again? I see three things in this story when dealing with not enough. Are you ready? In every crisis you face, and this is a truth, in every crisis you face, you may not have enough, I've already said it, but you have what you need to get enough, watch, if you use it. You've got to use it. The widow of Zarephath, used what she had by feeding the prophet. The disciples used what they had by giving it to Jesus then distributing it to the, the hungry. 
The widow used what she had by pouring it in obedience into empty vessels. At the wedding of Cana, they used those, those jugs of water. They used what they had, and Jesus turned it to wine. Over and over again, you see the principle of use, the law of use. Folks, you got to use the not enough that he gives you because when you use it, when you put, apply faith to it, God takes that not enough and makes it enough to get enough. In the story of the parable of the talents, I'm going to ask you a question today. In the story of the parable of the talents, why did Jesus chastise the man who was only given one talent? He didn't chastise the first two. He said, well done. But the one that had only gotten one talent, he chastised him. Why? Because he did not use what he had. Why didn't he use it? Because he said, it's only one. And he despised the talent, the little bit that God gave him, and because of that he didn't use it, but he buried it. And he buried it because of what he believed about the master. Let me tell you something. A lot of you have gifts and talents and abilities, gracings from God. And you know one thing that really keeps us from from using what God gives us, the way we view him. Because that, that servant with one talent said this. He said, I knew that you were a hard man. And you reap where you don't sow. In other words, you're unreasonable. And you're unfair. And you're tough. So you scared me. I was afraid of you. You know, folks, it's one thing to have the fear of the Lord. It's another thing to be afraid of the Lord. The fear of the Lord makes you walk in righteousness it makes you want to please him. But afraid of the Lord makes you, it kills your faith. It kills your faith. Do you know how many people in the world don't move in what God's called them to do? Don't operate in the giftings God has placed in their lives because they are afraid of God. Not the fear of the Lord, but afraid of God. So he didn't use the talent. And because of that, the whole thing was wasted. So when a need or a crisis arises, folks, here's what God says. What do you have? What do you have? What do you have? Search the house and look at what you have. Find what you have. Let me give you an example. In my life, uh, there came a time many, many years ago when I was, actually I was 19 years old, when God said to me, go to college. Well, here's the first thing I did. I looked at what I didn't have. You know what I didn't have? I didn't have any high school. I had no high school, no 12th, no 11th, no 10th. Well, pastor, where in the world were you? I was in trouble. I was lost. I was rebelling. And so I didn't have any high school, not any. And here's God saying, go to college. First thing I did is I looked at what I didn't have. And then I thought, oh, well, I do have one thing. I have a GED, G-E-D, a G-E-D. I said, Lord, you know, all I've got, and here's what I was doing. I was looking at my little jar of oil. All I've got is a GED. He said, you know what, Jeff? Here's the way I work. I don't ever call you to do something. I don't ever tell you to do something. I never reveal my will to you in any way, shape, or form that somewhere in there I don't give you what you need to get there if you use it. you got to use it. Man, there ain't anybody used a GED like I did. I mean, I used that GED. I went and got into junior college. I remember one, one day, clear as a bell, teacher called me out in the hall, out of an English class. 
and said, Mr. Wickwire, um, do you have, by any chance, holes in your education? And I thought, if I say the truth, I'm out of here. So I said, you know, somewhat. She said, well, keep trying, but I'm just noticing there's things you don't know that most of them know. That's right, but I'm moving on a GED. I took that GED, and I'm telling you, I worked that thing. I mean, I got more out of a GED than anybody I know because I went ahead and graduated junior college, B-plus average. Then I thought, well, this GED is doing me good. So I went on to North Texas State, University of North Texas, got a bachelor's, A average. Went and got a master's, went and got a doctorate. When I walked, I've walked across the stage four times on the power of a GED. I mean, I believe in using what you've got. Everybody say with me, you've got to use what you've got. See, God promises within every problem you face, in every problem, every dilemma you face, there is within that problem a provision from God that if you search the house and find it and use it, it is the answer to your problem. A sobbing little girl stood near a small church from which she had been turned away because it was, quote, too crowded. I can't go to Sunday school, she sobbed to the pastor as he walked by. Seeing her shabby, unkempt appearance, the pastor guessed the reason, and taking her by the hand, took her aside and found a place for her in the Sunday school class. The church, or the child, was so happy that they found room for her, and she went to bed that night thinking of the children who have no place to worship Jesus. Some two years later, true story, this child was found dead in one of the poor tenement buildings around her home. Her parents called for the kind-hearted pastor who had befriended their daughter to handle the final arrangements. As her body was being moved, a worn and crumpled red purse was found which seemed to have been rummaged from some trash dump. Inside was found 57 cents, 57 cents, and a note. And the note said, this is to help build the little church bigger so more children can go to Sunday school. For two years, this little girl had saved for this offering of love, thinking she'd give it, and she never had the chance. When the pastor tearfully read that note, he knew instantly what he would do. Carrying this note and the cracked red pocketbook to the pulpit, he told the story of her unselfish love and devotion to the whole church. He challenged his deacons to get busy and raise enough money for the larger building. But the story does not end there. A newspaper learned of the story and published it. It was read by a wealthy realtor who offered them a parcel of land worth many thousands of dollars. When told that the church could not pay so much, he offered to sell it to the little church for 57 cents. Church members then began to make large donations, moved by the little girl's story. Checks came from far and wide. Within five years... The little girl's gift had increased to $250,000, which was a huge sum for that time because this happened in the turn of the century. Her unselfish love had paid large dividends. When you are in the city of Philadelphia, look up Temple Baptist Church with a seating capacity of 3,300 and be sure to visit Temple University where thousands of students are educated. Have a look, too, 
at the Good Samaritan Hospital and at a Sunday school building which houses hundreds of beautiful children, built so that no child in the area will ever need to be left outside during Sunday school time. In one of those rooms of this building may be seen the picture of the sweet face of the little girl whose 57 cents so sacrificially saved made such remarkable history. Alongside her picture is a portrait of her kind pastor, Dr. Russell H. Canwell, author of the book, Acres of Diamonds. Can we give God praise for that story? That's a true story. Now, if you had come to that little girl and said, well, what do you have in your purse? Oh, I don't think she would have said only 57 cents. See, it was, to the onlooker, it was just 57 cents. But God took what she had and what she used because it was given by her note. And he turned it into a vast complex, ministering to thousands of children. And it began with a dream and one little girl's not enough. God is a mighty God. Our God is a powerful God. He uses the little and turns it into a lot. Amen? Now watch this now. Here's the principle. Within every problem lies the solution from God if you search the house and use what He's given you. When God tells me something is His will, folks, I immediately look for, okay, what have you given me? What have you provided? Where is the cloud? Where is the not enough? Where's the five loaves? Where's the two fishes? What is it that I'm to grab hold of and use for the glory of God and to see God move. What is it? Where is it? Is it a GED? Is it an ability to go to school, to go to college, make grades, get out, do something with your life? Is it a talent where you can sing or write? What is it? What has God given you? And you look at it and you go, well, it's just, oh, it's just, oh, it's only, oh, it's just. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. God takes a little and He makes a lot out of it. You may even only have a dream, a vision. There is something down in your heart, down in your soul. It's a dream. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to be. This is where I'm going to go. This is what I'm going to achieve. But it seems like the obstacles are so huge. You don't know how you're going to get there. Listen, don't look at what you don't have. Look at what you do have and work it. Use it. Give it to God. That's all He asks. you got to say, I give it to you, I use it, and I exercise faith over it. Because once you find it, folks, once you know what handle God wants you to grab, you got to use great faith. In 2 Kings chapter 13, I'm going to close with this story. There is the story of Joash, the king of Israel. Elisha's dying. And Joash comes up to Elisha, and he says, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he was there alluding to how Elisha received his mantle. It's in 2 Kings 13, verse 16. And Elisha tells him to go to the window and draw his bow. So he goes to the window and he draws the bow. Then Elisha grabs his arm and says, now fire. And he shoots it. And he shoots it towards Syria. And Elisha says, now because you shot that bow towards Syria, you're going to defeat Syria. You're going to go into battle against Syria and take Syria. Notice how 
God aimed him towards what his battle was to be. Then, then Elisha says, now take this arrow and I want you to strike the ground. He didn't tell him how many times. He just said, strike the ground. And Joash went bump, bump, bump. Three times. And do you know what Elisha said to him? It says, and the man of God, Elisha, was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Watch this now. His faith dictated his actions. His faith level dictated his actions. He had enough faith to strike that arrow three times on the ground. Elisha said, if your faith had been what it ought to be, you would have struck it six times and totally conquered Syria. But now you're not going to conquer Syria because you don't have the faith to do it. But what did this woman do conversely? He said, go get some jars. She got every jar in the whole neighborhood. There wasn't anything left. She told her sons to go look, and there was not an empty jar left in the whole neighborhood. What's the difference? Because faith moved her to action. The action said, I'm believing oil is going to fill every one of these jars. Every one of these jars is money for me, so I'm going to get every jar I can find. And it says, all of them were filled. Folks, launch out into the deep. When God shows you to do something, when He shows you to get a jar, an empty jar, when He shows you here's what you're to use to reach a goal, I mean step out in faith with everything that you've got. Give it everything that you've got. Don't strike the ground three times. Get every jar in the neighborhood. Get everything you can find. Because God does not say, if you step out in major faith, oh no, what are we going to do now? They're moving in major faith with great expectancy. No, He loves faith. It says He honors faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. So when, once He shows you what to do, do it with all your might. I think it's real interesting at the end of the story. Once all the jars were full, God told her exactly what to do with His provision. Now go sell it, pay off your debt, and then live off the rest. What God provides us with, He also will instruct us how to use it. How to use it. And so there she was, taken care of for the rest of her life. And say it with me, debt-free. Let's try it again. Debt-free. It sounds so pretty. Let's try it again. Debt-free. God may say to some of you, you know that little piece of plastic in your wallet? It's a small thing, but it doth wreak great havoc why don't you just cut it in half I'm just throwing some things out why go into all that debt why go into all that debt he may tell some of you go to school he may tell somebody here start a business he may tell somebody move and go and work for this place or that place when God speaks you do it and you search the house for what he's provided you with and when you find it, use it. Use it. Use it. He might give you a plan to get out of debt. It may be simple. It may not look like much. But use it. And see if he doesn't get you out of debt. How many of you know that God still speaks today? Amen? All right, let's stand together, can we?
You know, I don't know everybody's situation in here today, but I do know this, all of us have at least one not enough finances, relationship, something. How many believe he can take that not enough and make it enough to get you enough? If you work what you have, if you just work what you have, work it, use it. God will touch it and bless it. I'm going to pray for you. Father, everyone in here has a lack somewhere. We all have a lack somewhere. This woman, Lord, looking at the possibility of her sons being taken into slavery, went to the man of God who gave her a word from God. Take the little bit that you have and gather empty vessels that can receive from it. And I'm going to greatly multiply what you have. And Lord, she obeyed against all logic. She obeyed and received an incredible miracle, became debt-free, and had enough to live on the rest of her days. Now, Lord, it may not happen that way with us, but we do know the same God who spoke through Elisha sent Jesus into the world. And that Jesus now lives in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And Lord, the area where we see lack, where we're in distress or duress, we believe that you've got an answer, and the answer has already been sown into that problem. If we'll just search the house, search our hearts, search our minds, search the Word of God. If we'll just search the house, the answer, the solution has already been sown into that problem. Help us, Lord, to find it, then to use it and exercise great faith over it. Now, wherever your area of lack is, I want you to take a minute and just say, Lord, I give this to you. I give this to you. I give this to you. Show me where the oil is. Show me where the oil is. That I can take it and use it. In the name of Jesus. Name of Jesus. Mm. Now I want you to pray this with me before we close. Say, Lord, I know that no problem faces me. No dilemma taunts me. That you have not already provided an answer for Help me to see that answer. Open my eyes and give me wisdom that I can grab hold of it and use it and work it until it does become enough. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give him a hand of praise one more time? Amen. You know, uh, in closing, I couldn't help but remember just then I was talking to you and holding my Bible. When I got saved, um, my mind 
was filled with all kinds of irrational fears. I had all kinds of irrational fears. I would have panic attacks. I would just be walking down the street and I would have a panic attack. And my heart would start pounding and I'd feel things kind of spinning. And it was one of those deals where it could have been very, very debilitating. And I thought, what am I going to do? And this was after I was saved and spirit-filled. These panic attacks would hit me. And these fears. I'd wake up in the middle of the night sweating. And it was a tremendous problem. And I thought, you know, here I am in this problem. God, what am I going to do? And I thought of counselors and medicine and this and that and the other. And I'm not downplaying any of those things, but I can tell you that one day I was walking along and this one verse dropped into my mind. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The soul being mind, will, and emotions. I said, well, that's me. Because I felt like a big mind walking around with panic attacks. And I thought the law of the Lord, the word, it's perfect. So what I started doing, I realized, here's my jar. Here's my oil. The answer's right in front of me. And guess what? It's free. So I began memorizing. Huge. I mean, I memorized the whole book of James. Whole Sermon on the Mount, tons of the Psalms, just memorized, verse after verse, chapter after chapter. And one day I woke up, a few months into this, and realized that for days I had not had a panic attack or any inordinate fear. And I realized that whatever it was that was mixed up in there, the word of the Lord went in and was perfect, restoring my mind so that I didn't have a problem that he hadn't put the answer right in front of me. And when I prayed and asked him for the answer, he showed it to me. It's right in front of you. Memorize it. It's perfect. And another example of how God never lets you encounter a problem, but he has not sown the answer somewhere. Search the house. Search the house till you find it. Amen? All right, I'm done preaching. I've said enough. <laughs> Did you need this today? Yeah. This help you? <coughs>